this week's game we're doing Chicago versus Houston. Chicago, everybody knows it as the Windy City. In Houston, I looked up, their one official nickname is Space City. Oh, I've always sure. known Makes sense. Houston as H-Town. Um, but what is your favorite... It doesn't even have to be in America. It could be anywhere. What is your favorite nickname of a city that's like widely used? Hmm. Well, mine's Beantown for Chicago. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, Long-time think... fans of the podcast will know. <laughs> yep. That's Charlie, my uh, my official nickname for Chicago because of the bean. Um, I do think that the city of angels is funny for Los Angeles because it's like, yeah, that that's literally what Los Angeles means. Like, it doesn't feel like much of a nickname. They just kind of were like, yeah, we're just gonna say the name, and you know, I prefer uh, Tinseltown. Sure, that's fun. Um, I think Sin City is funny because Vegas, it's like, oh, Las Vegas, Sin City. But like when you go to Vegas, it, it's just like a bunch of people walking around on the street and people trying to give you little cards to, you know, go check out uh, an escort service. And, uh, it's that's like, pretty right, sinful. Sure. That's pretty that, that's sinful. sinful, sure. But I feel like Sin City nowadays feels very like corporate. You know what I mean? Like it's well, a very maybe corporate you haven't city, sinned city. there, but that doesn't mean there aren't other people. No, exactly. I'm not saying that nobody sins there. I'm just saying that Vegas now feels like such a corporate entity. When we went to Vegas, I definitely committed the sin of gluttony. I ate a lot. It's <laughs> true. We did eat a lot. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm looking up some other city nicknames to see if uh, there's some uh, that I wasn't aware of. Um, I mean, the Motor City for Detroit is pretty cool. The Big Easy, New Orleans. That's a really cool one. Yeah, big one. Yeah, that's fun. Big Easy. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's some good ones out there. That's for sure. Um, well, welcome, everybody, to One Game at a Time. This is the podcast where we tell the story of a single game from baseball's history. Uh, I'm Warner, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam and Charlie. Hello, guys. Hi. <laughs> Sam, I was waiting anything? for Sam to say something because I feel like usually I, I thought it'd be out. funny if no one said anything. What What about Reno, the biggest little city in the world? That's fun. I also like Rip City for Oh, uh, Rip City's great. Yeah, for for Portland because I guess I'm, I don't really know where that comes from. I Is think it just I think bas- it comes from the basketball announcer just said it for like no reason, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Oh, there we go, Rip City, perfect. Um, yeah, that's awesome uh rip city's fun well yeah uh we're just talking about some city nicknames because like you said sam at the top uh we're talking about two teams well i would say the windy city is a very well-known name i would not say space city no i didn't know space city i've always thought of houston as h-town sure sure but definitely yeah the windy city um i think is a great nickname uh but yeah we're talking about chicago we're talking about houston today uh this week's game was suggested by uh charlie actually big huge white Sox fan no i'm just kidding it was obviously suggested by sam uh but if you have any suggestions for games send us an email or reach out on all the social media platforms our email is ogatpod at gmail.com on social media we are at ogatpod uh so let us know if there's any games you want us to talk about uh, also our patreon supporters will get priority in suggesting games so check that out uh you know you can support the show and you can hear us talk about a game uh that you want us to cover it's uh, it's a lot of fun 
It's a lot of fun. We got some other perks on there too. But what do you guys say? We jump right in. Play the music. When the Chicago White Sox won the World Series in 1917, they should have been on top of the world. But instead of being treated like superstars and showered with bonuses, they, as the story goes, received bottles of flat champagne and the bill for the season's laundry. I remember this. I was there when this happened. In 1917? The champagne was. Didn't you out yourself last week? Yeah, you doxed your age last week. (laughs) So I don't know if this checks out. The champagne was really flat and the laundry was really expensive. Was the laundry really dirty? Yeah, those guys were disgusting. And I did, how gross ballplayers are today, they were way grosser oh, back in 1917. God. 1917? I can't even imagine what the dugout must have smelled like in 1917. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> well, those gifts were the compliments of their penny-pinching owner, Charles Comiskey, who routinely underpaid players and was known to manipulate playing time so players couldn't accumulate bonuses. But all of this led to a number of the White Sox players deciding they'd look for fair compensation elsewhere, which resulted in the most infamous scandal in the history of baseball, the Black Sox. In 1919, when the White Sox made a return trip to the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds, eight key players conspired with illegal gamblers to overthrow the World Series and receive a large... <laughs> to throw the World Series. To, yeah, to overthrow. <laughs> it's a coup. Revolution! <laughs> all right, all right. Shoeless just said, I'm the commissioner now. Shoeless <laughs> shows up. All right. In 1919, when the White Sox made a return trip to the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds, eight key players conspired with illegal gamblers to throw the World Series and receive a large payday. Over the next eight games, the White Sox would drill batters, bungle routine grounders, and strike out looking to lose the World Series five games to three. Well, a few years later, the truth would come to light, and all eight members of the scheme would find themselves banned from baseball for life. I mean, and yeah, that's... so, like, a few years later, it finally was, like, confirmed, but it was, like, all of the next season, there were rumors throughout the season of, like, I'm pretty sure the White Sox threw that World Series, like, and it just dogged these players for, like, a few seasons until finally, like, they went to court and everything came out. Yeah, and I know that in 1920, I think, they were making, you know, they were close uh, near the end of this, you know, pennant race. Um, But then a handful of players got suspended, which then kind of ended up, the team ended up losing, missing out on the playoffs. Um, And then, yeah, then when they were officially banned, I mean, the team just, that was it. You know, I mean, you lost eight of some of your biggest players on the team. That's hard to come back from. (laughs) And Shoeless Joe was wronged. He didn't, he did nothing wrong. He was a rube. He didn't understand. (laughs) Well, in any case, thus began the curse of the Black Sox. Over the next eight decades, the White Sox would routinely find themselves near the bottom of the standings and only made it to the World Series once in 1959, losing to the Dodgers in six games. And during this time, yeah, they made it to the World Series once. Uh, They only made it to the playoffs three other times. 1983, 1993, and 2000, but they lost. Uh, that's not good. 
And listen to this. They lost in the first round every single time. Uh, not good at all. I mean, if you look at the baseball reference team history, you know, where you can scroll down and see the results of each season, there are just enormous, I mean, four decades, you know, at a certain point, because you go from 1919, they didn't make the playoffs at all. They didn't make the World Series anything until 1959. There's just these well, huge Well, they didn't gaps. have playoffs, though. That's well, yeah. right. I guess they didn't have playoffs. But still, like, they were bad. They were bottom of the standings and then after 1959 it takes all the way until 1983 you know 93 2000 that's a lot of uh losing that's that's a lot of losing (laughs) but the 2005 white Sox had a different feel led by outspoken manager ozzy guillen a former white Sox shortstop himself the Southsiders won 99 games and took the al central with ease having led the division the entire year In the playoffs, the White Sox matched up with the championship-defending and curse-breaking Red Sox, sweeping them in three games. Then it was the Angels who managed to eke out a win in Game 1 before the White Sox came back to win four straight and punched their ticket to the Fall Classic for the first time in 46 years. Yeah, I think it's interesting you talked about them playing the curse-breaking Red Sox in the first round because literally in 2004, a year prior to this 2005 game, the Red Sox had broken their 84 year Six. curse. 86 Wasn't 86? Year curse. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, such a crazy matchup. And then, oh, they sweep them. Oh, damn. <laughs> I love that baseball, I think baseball of any sport has the most curses. And that's fun. I like that baseball is yeah. so. I mean, baseball is superstitious. so superstitious. Yeah. yeah. But it goes beyond just like the players having a superstition or like mm-hmm. don't jinx or like this and that. It's like, no. The reason why we haven't won in a million years is because of yeah. this curse from some random thing that happened. Yeah. Because, you know, these guys. It's not guys just because our, our owner or... hasn't been spending money to like get good exactly. players or it's not like guys have just underperformed. No, no. It's maybe that's like part of it but the reason why all all, that's happening it's easy to have the the boogeyman to blame you know it's easy to say well we didn't win because we have a curse that's why not like you said charlie or you know our owner didn't cough up anything to pay for any good players Um, right yeah it's it's just interesting because you don't really hear that much you don't hear that much in like football or basketball where like they'll make other excuses but it never like comes back to some like you know the curse that's yeah, such it's, a it's heavy like, word yeah it's like could you imagine like you know a basketball team loses and they're like i don't know man some witch put a hex on us i don't know what else to say it's <laughs> yeah it's it's fun people would be it's like fun. shut it's up so dra- but it's so dramatic which people take it as I, so true i love it yeah and i think that's part of baseball too that baseball's so dramatic and they were playing Major League Baseball in like 1905 when like weird things like hexes and witches and stuff. Yeah, they were did still happen. burning witches, right? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, basically, like a guy tried to bring his goat into Wrigley Field. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's tried to get into like Madison Square Garden with a goat, but but now the White Sox are here. They're here. They're on the cusp of breaking that curse, getting to their the World Series for their the first time in over 45 years. 46 years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of first times, the White Sox would meet the Houston Astros, who were making their first World Series appearance in franchise history. 
the Astros had a team of superstars featuring the Killer Bees, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, and Lance Berkman, three fearsome hitters to go along with a lights-out rotation led by Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, and Roy Oswalt. I mean, that's a team. That's a superstar team if I ever I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about Roy Oswalt a little bit, Roger Clemens a lot in our last episode. I mean, these are guys that... These Jeff are all Badwell, names that keep coming Hall of Famer, up. Craig Biggio, yep. Hall of Famer, Roger Lance Clemens. Berkman, we've talked about a lot on our show. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roger Clemens, seven time Cy Young winner, should certainly be in the Hall of Fame. Andy Pettit has a case to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Roy Oswald, one of the best pitchers of his generation. And then by comparison, the White Sox, who were like the best team in baseball for much of the season, not really a team filled with big names. Filled with like complicated names like AJ Prasinski, Scott Pitsednik, yeah, Mark Burley, <laughs> um, names that are hard to pronounce. But their biggest star, their only the, whole, the only Hall of Famer probably, unless Mark Burley gets in, which I mean he probably won't. Their only Hall of Famer on this team is Frank Thomas, who was injured in like May and hasn't played all season, and and wasn't on the postseason roster. So Talk about like a nice easy name to say. Frank, Frank Thomas. Thomas, the big hurt, yeah. one of the best <laughs> nicknames in baseball. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so. That sucks that he's been injured this whole year. Such a great run for this team, and he's been on this team. Right, he's been the face of the White Sox like... for so long, and this is the, he's out this year. And guys stepped up. I mean, Paul Konerko mm-hmm. comes and hits forty home runs and just becomes like one of the new leaders of this team. And th- I mean, what I would say about this White Sox team is two thousand five. Southsider White Sox team is like it's like working class lunch pail guys. You got Canerco, Jermaine Die was just like a guy who's just like he's gonna come and he's gonna give you what he gives. He's not a flashy guy, he's not a superstar. Aaron Rowan, the same thing. Aaron Rowan famous for just running into walls. There was a commercial where he <laughs> I remember a commercial where he runs into the wall and then he like dies and like goes to hell and then he comes back. It was like crazy, <laughs> like a weird commercial because he was just famous for running into walls. Um so, I mean, that, that that's like what this team is. You've got this team of superstars in the Houston Astros, these high-paid guys, Hall of, future Hall of Famers, and then you've got these team of, like, not really big-name guys, but just get-her-done guys for the White Sox. Who, like, had all, like... Actually, what's interesting about being a White Sox fan, I, I like, have a lot to say, I remember this, like, the White Sox had Maglia Ordonez, Carlos Lee, these, like, big stars who, like... Every, who like were big names and they got rid of all of them. Ozzy Guillen was like, I don't want these guys. We're going to play a different style of baseball. I want team first guys. And so Przinsky, Pitsednik, Die, these guys were all first year with the White Sox. And I, I remember being like, why would they trade Maglia Ordonez? I love Maglia Ordonez. His name is so fun. And everyone at the stand go, <laughs> oh, Leo, Maglio. Uh, but they, I, they got rid of him and it paid off because now they're in their first World Series in you know almost 50 years. Yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to shake things up. Well, despite having a team filled with stars, the Astros had struggled to start the season, going 15-30 and 30, but clawing their way back into it to claim a wild card spot. After defeating the Atlanta Braves and St. Louis Cardinals in the playoffs, the Astros fell in Game 1 of the World Series in Chicago. Roger Clemens left after only two innings of work, and the White Sox bullpen shut down the Houston Bats, securing a 5-3 victory for the Pale Hose. Game 2 was a cold and rainy night as temperatures dropped into the mid-40s, 
but the game would start on time as Mark Burley took the mound to face off with Andy Pettit, who was making his 34th career postseason start, the most of any pitcher. I mean, if you spend your time on the Yankees at the yeah. turn of the millennium, you're going to play a lot of <laughs> You're going to have a lot of starts. <laughs> but that's still, I mean, you got to be good, you know, to keep getting those starts in the postseason. Yeah, Andy so, Pettit was terrific. Really yeah, great pitcher. Yeah. Both pitchers got through the first without much trouble, but in the top of the second, Morgan Ensberg led off the inning with a deep drive to left. Here's a shot into left field off the bat of Ensberg and gone. A home run for Houston. First pitch swinging. Burley delivered it. Ensberg lost it, and it's one to nothing. Houston in the second. It was Astros one, White Sox zero. After two more Houston hits, Burley would escape the inning with a strikeout. The White Sox came back in the bottom of the second and tied it up on a Joe Creedy single that scored Aaron Rowan. Then, with runners on first and third, Juan Uribe popped one up to shallow right field. Yeah, Juan Uribe, the number nine man in the order, steps in for the go-ahead run at third. A runner on at first, and he pops it up. Out goes Biggio. The second baseman is there, bobbles it. Drops it. Pierzynski will score. Throw to second for the force out. Two out in the inning. And the White Sox lead two to one. This is, I mean, this is weird. So pops it up. Biggio goes back. Does not catch it. Pops right out of his glove. Uh, and then with uh, Pierzynski on third, great base running to recognize this and get home and score. But then you've got poor Joe Creedy, who's just like, oh, fuck. now he's got to go to second base. And this is the easiest force out ever. Right. Yeah. Uh, it worked. Yeah. He was he going had, back to yeah, first. He had nothing to do. He Which doesn't want to get doubled off at first. And then exactly. Biggio drops it. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anything, you know, it, it works out for the White Sox because, yeah, Pruszynski scores. They take the lead. Well, Houston would come back in the top of the third with a Willie Tavares triple, then a Lance Berkman sack fly that tied it up at 2-2. Two to two. The game would stay knotted up at 2 through the rest of the third and fourth innings, when each side went down in order. Houston's Brad Osmus led off the fifth with a double that careened off the glove of third baseman Joe Creedy. Come on, Joe. Gotta make that play. Yeah, but Sendik wasn't there to back him up. That's true. <laughs> Well, then Willie Tavares singled to put runners on the corners for Lance Berkman. Berkman hits it fair down the left field line, and the Astros are back out in front. In to score is Osmus. Tavares will score as the left fielder Podsednik has trouble with it. And it's 4-2 Houston here in the fifth. So Berkman rips one into the left field corner. And, I mean, to, I always like when we have fat – when we have uh, – when we watch games that have fast players, and Willie Tavares is certainly one of the faster players we've had on any of the games we've done so far. And he gets from first to home on this. Maybe he would have no matter what, but like it has helped because Pacetnik gets stuck in that left field corner and kind of drops the ball, fumbles it, and then has to throw it home after dropping it already. And so I don't know if... if uh, Tavares would have got first to home without that. So, but so far that's that's kind of two plays that Pitsednik and that. Yeah, Pitsednik is yeah. not having a, a good day out there in left field to start out. Yeah, yeah, that double to start and then no real double. error, but a couple like like you said, not backing Creedy up, not a couple you know 
of this bobble. It's just he's you know, he's got to get his head in the game. Well, Juan Uribe doubled to start the Chicago half of the fifth, but the White Sox couldn't cash in on the leadoff hit. As Uribe was caught in a rundown, then Tadahito Iguchi got picked off at first to end the inning. In the bottom of the sixth, Jermaine Dye and Paul Konerko, two sluggers in the heart of the order who'd each hit 30-plus home runs in the regular season, let off the inning with back-to-back deep fly balls that died just before they could leave the park. It's a cold, kind of rainy night. You know? yeah, in August, is, maybe those get out, but yeah, not, not this October. is the worst, not one of the worst types of nights to play baseball. I hated playing. Oh, baseball really? I was, I dude, I was watching this, and it's like it's late September right now, and we're recording this. I'm thinking like this is like fall. This get me excited for like baseball postseason. Just thinking about that kind of oh, weather. Sure. Just I just say I'm saying when I played baseball, I hated playing in the cold it was horrible you'd hit the ball your hands would hurt right your hands would like vibrate your hands would hurt your hands were hurting non-stop when it was cold you know you'd 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 get a grounder and if you try to grab the ball out of your glove and you'd be like oh fuck my fingers you know they feel so frozen so i'm just saying i did not like playing baseball in this weather i have those same memories but i think back on them really fondly well, ultimately, the White Sox would enter the seventh inning still down 4-2. to two. Mark Burley would come back to grind out another inning and set down the Houston batters in order for the fourth time that night. Yeah, I think this is like an underrated thing that Burley's coming out here doing. Just He's just gutting it out. He's already given up four runs, but he's still coming out, just eating up the innings, getting through them. And that's kind of like... What Burley was. Like, Burley was not a low ERA guy, but he was just a guy who would go out there and give your team the chance to win games because he wasn't going to, like, necessarily get blown up. He was going to keep going out there and fighting. And even if he gave up some runs, you knew that he was still going to be able to get to seventh or eighth because that's just who he was. And he was going to get him through him fast. I mean, Burley's right. the fastest worker ever. Uh, I in think baseball. something I appreciate about Burley, too, is that. He just throws strikes, and he throws really good strikes. And he's not afraid to just, if the hitter's going to beat him and hit a good pitch, then he's like, okay, fine. Like you said, he, you know, he'll give up some runs. But it's not like then the next batter's going to come up and he's going to slow down and get nervous. No, he's just going to keep throwing strikes and like stay to his game plan, which is fun to watch. Yeah, yeah he's got his rhythm, and he just he sticks to it. Well, on the other end, Pettit got the hook after throwing 98 pitches through six innings, but the White Sox got to his replacement, Dan Wheeler, when Juan Uribe doubled, Tadahito Iguchi walked, then Jermaine Dye stole first base when a ball hit his bat, but was ruled a hit-by-pitch. You know, I'm fouling off tough pitches, uh, you know, and then he throws a ball up and in and uh, just glances off of my bat. Um, You know, I just took one step to first base because I really didn't know if it really hit me or if it hit the bat and then realized it hit the bat, turn and look at the umpire and he says, uh, go to first base. So, um, you know, it was a tough, tough call for the umpire. Um, you know, everybody's human, everybody makes mistakes, but uh, I think that that was a turning point in, in our season and in that game. Well, after loading the bases, Wheeler was pulled for Chad Qualls, who had to face Paul Konerko. With Frank Thomas not on the postseason roster, Konerko was the de facto face of the White Sox. After being drafted 13th overall by the Dodgers, 
Konerko was traded to the Reds, then the White Sox, in 1999, where he was a two-time All-Star and MVP candidate. I think that's kind of an interesting like tie back to the Black Sox. Weren't they facing the Reds? Whoa! Yeah, in the World Series they threw. And Konerko yeah, right. was traded to the Reds and then from the Reds to the White Sox. And now right. I mean, he was still like basically a prospect when he wasn't, he was by no means like a, you know, a veteran right. big leaguer. He was a guy who had played. So the Reds were like, eh, we don't really believe in Konerko. And the White Sox were like, we believe in Konerko. Yeah. Mainly just because uh, the name. When yeah, I was just like, the reading name. through Polish, this, I thought. Polish uh, guy. <laughs> stick him on the team. There we go. <laughs> just thought it was an interesting kind of tie in from. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun connection. Well, now, with the White Sox down by two and the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh, Paul Konerko needed to come up big. And on the first pitch, he cemented himself in Southside lore forever. Loaded two out. With Konerko on. And he rips one in the left. Konerko, grand slam. As Konerko came out for his curtain call, the city of Chicago was feeling like nothing could stop them. And with the White Sox bullpen, that feeling wasn't unfounded. Yeah, the Sox had a great bullpen this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a huge moment. Bottom of the seventh. I love it's the first pitch. Grand slam. The first pitch. First pitch. Oh, man. There's been so many first pitch swings in this game. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun to see guys swinging on the first pitch. Um, I feel like, you know, that's probably what I'd be doing if I was out there. Um, just swing away, man. <laughs> uh, especially first pitch grand salami. Come on. After retaking the lead, Mark Burley's night was done after seven innings, and Cliff Polite took the mound for the eighth, where he worked another 1-2-3 inning. The Astros kept the White Sox quiet in the bottom of the eighth, giving them one more chance, but they'd have to get to Bobby Jenks, the 6'4", 275-pound rookie who Chicago had claimed for just $20,000 had been terrific since his debut in July. During the season, he'd struck out 50 batters in just 39 innings and hadn't let up a run in the postseason yet. Now, all eyes were on the big boy, as Ozzie Guillen called him, to close out Game 2, after working a four-out save last night in game one. I mean, any White Sox fan or just anyone who f was following baseball at this time has the image ingrained in their memory of game one. Because, I mean, basically, they, I mean, Bobby Jenks saved uh, a bunch of games this postseason, and he saved game one of the World Series, and everyone has that image ingrained of Ozzie Gein coming out to the mound and just looking out to the bullpen and putting his arms out to the side, and then his arms out high, saying, the big boy, the big guy, the fat, <laughs> the tall, fat man. Uh, that is just, I mean, and that just goes so much with this team of just, like, this, this basically ragtag group of guys. They have this weird, huge, redneck guy from Idaho. Yeah, this, this guy looks like a fucking lumberjack type of, like, I could see him just working, chopping trees down with the, it's probably off. what he does now if he's alive. He shows up in the middle of July and all of a sudden just becomes the best closer in baseball. And he continued to be like the best closer in baseball for like the next three years. And then he just kind of disappeared. But 
that just goes along with this team on the south side of Chicago with these just random guys who all came together to do something really special. And Bobby Jenks was one of the biggest. Yeah, he throws fast. Well, Jeff Bagwell got to Jenks right away with a leadoff single, but Jenks came back to strike out Jason Lane. Then Chris Burke walked to put two runners on, but Brad Osmus grounded to first for the second out. But Bagwell and Burke each moved up a base. This is a nice little battle with Jenks and the Astros here. Back and forth. Here we go. Well, and Ozzy was getting upset because some of these pitches, like on the walk, was they were pretty close. Right. And Ozzy's in the spot. dugout, like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and Ozzy's not a an even keel guy. Uh, when Ozzy's upset, he's gonna let you know he's upset. Right. Yeah. And I love they cut to him, and you can see the look on his face is like. He's like, if this was just some regular season game, I would be out there giving it to you, but I can't get tossed because it's the World (laughs) Series. Well, then it was Jose Vizcaino, a 16-year journeyman utility player who got the call to pinch hit with two on and two out in one of the biggest moments of his career. And on the first pitch, the Wiley Vets experience beat the rookie's raw talent. Vizcaino, a base hit to left. One run scores. Here comes Burke. Throw home. Safe, and the game is tied. Vizcaino delivers. 6-6 in the ninth. What a slide by Burke. He got his hand in there to tie it at six. Game two of the World Series was tied in the ninth inning. After giving up two runs and blowing the save, Jenks was relieved by Neil Kotz, who got out of the ninth with no more damage. Man, Vizcaino comes in two outs. Huge, huge. In the top of the ninth. I mean, and he swings at the first pitch. Another first pitch, another first pitch. And and a pinch hitter. And he's a pinch, like, you think he's a pinch hitter. He hasn't, he's maybe, like, you know, took batting practice before the game and everything. But he's been sitting there in the cold in the dugout just watching this game for nine innings. And yeah, he comes up and he doesn't take a pitch and like see what kind of stuff what, you know Jenks what is Jenks gonna throw is at coming him. at him with a rookie who like they don't have a great scouting report on who throws a hundred miles an hour like yeah just like all right let's see what happens yeah yeah and here you and go it works. this is huge this is <laughs> yeah. so big well now it was the White Sox who had to contend with Brad Lidge one of the best closers in baseball who'd collected forty two saves and been named an All Star. Juan Uribe led off with a deep fly ball to center that looked like it had a chance, but was caught in front of the warning track. Then it was Scott Putsednik, who'd been having a rough night. The left fielder was 0 for 4 at this point, and several key plays in left field had not gone his way. It started with a Brad Osmus double that went off Joe Creedy's glove and ended up in no man's land, where Putsednik might have been able to keep the runner at first had he gotten a better jump. Then, he bobbled the ball in the left field corner that allowed Willie Tavares to score from first and gave Houston a lead. Finally, just minutes prior, Podsednik barely missed on a throw to home that would have ended the game and given the Sox a two-game lead in the series, but instead tied it up. Yeah, I mean, he, he could have went from goat to hero in that moment because that yeah. throw was so very it was close a good to the end throw. of the game. It was it a was good a throw. Good, it was a good throw. It just seemed like he was a little slow coming off the jump. I mean, he gets the well, ball and it was in his on glove the first, left he, field. He, he, he threw, threw it, it the, the first base, base side. side. If he threw it third base side of the catcher, he gets him, you know? Yeah, yeah. which is the difference of, like, what, a foot? 
Yeah. And what's huge too, I mean, he had the timing. I mean, so Chris Burke was the guy that scores the tying run. He had not even touched third uh, when Pudsednik got the ball in left. It felt like, oh man, they've got him. You know, they're sending Burke. They've got Mm -hmm. him. And yeah, had that throw been, like you said, a a foot to the left uh, or well, a foot to Pudsednik's right, uh, they would have had him out. It was so close. You know, he had to feel like shit after that moment. Well, he probably had to think like, I feel like in the moment he probably thought I did everything I could do there. You know what I mean? Like so often you see outfielders, they make that throw and it's like way up the line. Or, you know, or it's way late. I mean, this was like a matter of seconds and a matter of mm-hmm. a foot. And yeah, it's like, I man, that... I just couldn't quite, like, I did everything I could do and it just wasn't quite there. Like, fuck. Yeah. But now the speedy leadoff hitter was looking to get on base and allow his slugging teammates to hit him home. Podsednik hits one to deep right center field. Back at the wall. This ball is gone. Podsednik goes deep. His second home run of the postseason. And the White Sox win it 7-6. No assistance was necessary for Podsednik, who took the game into his own hands and sent the Chicago fans home happy with a single swing. Oh, yes. This game. This game-ending home run mixed with Konerko's seventh inning grand slam are the two biggest moments in White Sox history all put into one game and an example like just to show that is at a guaranteed rate field where, where the White Sox play at during this time in 2005 they had blue seats and then I think for the 2006 season they switched over they to to green seats they took out all the blue seats and made them green there's still two blue seats at Guaranteed rate field. One where Pacetnik's home run la- landed and one where Konerko's home run landed. And they're the, the only two blue seats in a sea of green. And I just think that's really cool. That's awesome. Well, Game 3 would take the series to Houston for the first World Series games to be played in Texas. After a 14-inning war of attrition that became the longest game in World Series history at the time, the White Sox won 7-5 to after coming back from a 0-4 to deficit and scoring two runs in the top of the 14th. Just to talk more about Burley and how amazing Burley is and the great stories about Burley. Burley, having pitched 100 pitches in seven innings in game two, comes in and saves game three. And just to add to how amazing that is, he admitted years later that he had been drinking beers all game and was drunk (laughs) when he came in. What? That's epic. That is such a... I mean, like, we've been talking about that just... Lunch pail, you know, working hard south side. He was just watching the game. He was just watching the game, crushing a few Bruce. I mean, he was like, I just pitched. There's no way they're gonna I'm gonna pitch again. And that's insane. And then it was like, oh fuck. (laughs) Then it goes 14 innings, and Don Cooper's like, We need you. And he's like, Well, yeah, I've just been drinking, I've just been pounding beers. Sure. (laughs) That's great. Well, Game 4 was a pitcher's duel between Freddy Garcia and Brandon Back that saw seven scoreless innings before the White Sox finally broke through with a Jermaine Dye RBI single in the 8th. Bobby Jenks would come back for the bottom of the ninth and close out the game, completing the sweep of the Houston Astros and winning the White Sox their first World Series in 88 years, 
effectively breaking the curse of the Black Sox. This was such a good series. Um, I, you even mentioned it when we talked pre-show, Warner, about people might look at it and see it was a four-game sweep and think it was a bad series, but every single game came down to the wire. Every And there yeah. was, you know, game four is one to zero, where game three is, uh, you know, seven to five in 14 innings. Game two was this back and forth masterpiece with huge home runs. Yeah, with a late inning grand slam, then a late inning tied up, and then a walk off. Like, at, watching this series every game was like, wow, this is nuts. Um, yeah, I think also you're like lucky we, to get four games in the World Series that are as exciting as this. So I would much rather take a four-game sweep, sweep with games that are as just wild as this than a fully drawn-out seven-game series where, like, the teams are just blowing each other out back and forth. Like, that's not as fun to watch compared to something like this. This is edge-of-your-seat action the entire series. Right, and, like, we've talked about the whole episode about the White Sox are, like, this kind of salt-of-the-earth team, and the Astros are, like, this team of superstar future Hall of Famers. That is, like, adds to the intrigue. Well, that was, obviously, for me, really fun to relive. Um so I'm happy we did that game. And yeah, it was fun to watch. And well, we, fun did, to talk uh, about it. we did the 91 World Series for me. So it was only fair we do 2005. And I'm, sorry, I'm sure at some point we're going to definitely do <laughs> Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. I mean, at some point in our lives, yes. Um, and I do think it's fun to talk about this game because, and you know, Sam, we talked about this. Uh, people forget about this World Series and forget about this White Sox team. And that sucks. That really sucks. And I think it's fun to, you know, do this to talk about it. World's, the most forgotten world champs in sports. People always are leaving out the 2005 White Sox whenever they're talking about ESPN regularly forgets it. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, ESPN forgets all kinds of shit, to be fair. Well, uh, what do you say we move on? Yeah, Sam... Uh... Yeah, I got You've a little got game, a game based on the 2005 White Sox. I touched on it earlier. There's a lot of interesting names on this team. Pitsednik, Przinsky, Burley is like one of the weirdest spelled names. B-E. B-E. Careful now. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> B- B-U. B-E. <laughs> wait, wait. I'm just kidding. I know how to spell Burley. B-U-E-H-R-L-E. B U E H. I like how there's a question That's mark right. at yep. the end. <laughs> All right. Anyways. <laughs> but baseball is a sport. I mean, baseball has been known to have some crazy names throughout the history. Names that you never would know how to spell. You wouldn't think that they're spelled the way they are just by hearing them. And I was thinking maybe I'll put you guys in a little spelling bee with some baseball names. Oh, God. Yeah. Sounds great. Go, Let's go do elementary this is school on their asses with the This is going to be bee. so hard. All right, uh, but because I I'm sure you've picked some fun. I names. think this is gonna we're gonna tie zero to zero. Is my I picked Warner. some fun ones and. <laughs> all right, all right. I do have two lifelines for you each. That you each get two lifelines. Is one of the lifelines that I can Google the name? No. And <laughs> still try to spell can it. Can I guarantee that? I still wouldn't be yeah, able can to. Can we add that lifeline? <laughs> no. But okay. the two li- one lifeline is you get a chance to respell it if you spell it wrong. Okay. So you get one of those. And the other lifeline is that you can trade that name for a player that the 
the player name I give you has been traded for in real life. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Because there's there could so be. So are a... you gonna choose? You're gonna. Yeah, I have them us... already. Okay. So like, there if could... I gave there's you Mookie Betts it... and you were like, I don't know how to spell Mookie Betts, I want to trade you spell that first and last names. It's first and last. Oh, no. oh God! Okay, I right. thought it was just oh, last God. names. I thought it was just last names. <laughs> Most of but... these first names are pretty simple. Like Scott Pudsednik, right? First <laughs> right. name easy, right. last name. But there could be one T or two T's or something. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, that's where we're gonna get if tripped fucking up. Fucking Will Myers, right? Get out of here with that <laughs> shit. Uh, so Charlie, pick even or odd. Odd. All right, Warner, you're going first. Okay. The first name I have for you, Mike Yastrzemski. Oh. Out- outfielder okay. for the San Francisco Giants, Mike Yastrzemski. Well, Mike, M-I-K-E, uh, Yastrzemski. Oh, God. See, you know what's frustrating is when I did the script for a game that Carl was in, <laughs> I had to type this name so many goddamn times, <laughs> and I still don't know if I'm going to be able to get this. Um, okay. Remember, you have your lifelines. Okay. Um, I'm going to just go. I think it's so Mike, M-I-K-E, Yastrzemski. Y A Z S T R E M S K I? You are wrong. Ugh. You could still use your lifelines if you want to try again. Uh, no, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them for my last ones. Uh, I'll, I'll take the hit on the first one. All right. How, 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 how do you spell it? Is Mike M I K E Yastrzemski. Y A S T R Z E M S K I. S-K-I. S before Z. Yeah, see, I knew it. That's what tripped me up the last time. All right, anyways. It's hard because his nickname was just like Yaz. Yeah, so, so that's why Z. I want to think Y-A-Z, exactly. Yeah. Charlie, here's one for you. Okay. Another giant, giant's pitcher, My Jeff heart is Samarja. Right now. Oh, Jeff Samarja. Okay. Uh, Jeff is easy. J E F F. Um, Samarja. S A M. S A M A R. Samarja. This is so hard. <laughs> S A M A R D. I think there's a D in there. D G A. You are incorrect. You can use one of your lifelines, try again, or trade him for a player that he was traded for in real life. I'm just going to take that. I don't. What? It's not just (laughs) D G A. There's something else in there? No, there's. J E F F S A M. A R D. So you got there right. I knew there's Z- the D. Z I J A. <laughs> Wait, there's a Z? <laughs> yes. There's a Z in there. What the? Samardzija. All right. Okay. We'll go. This is, I would not have been able to get that right, but I had a, I was like, oh, I know there's like a Z. I don't know where it is, though. <laughs> With the score tied 0 0, we're going to go back to Warner. Okay. Brewers announcer and former catcher Bob Euchre. 
Oh, interesting. Euchre. Okay. Um, God, this could go any number of ways. And I wish I got um, this one. You know, uh, you know this one. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, Bob. Bob Euchre is that what you said? Bob. Bob Euchre. Okay. B O B. Y U K E R. No. Still okay. have both your lifelines though. I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna do the traded one because I don't really. I don't know. I don't know what other direction this could go in. So. Hey, Bob Euchre was once traded for a player named Gary Kolb. Gary Kolb. Oh, Gary. See, Gary could be tough. I feel like this could be a surprise. You know. Um, it could be like not the way that I th- think. Um. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Gary G A R Y. Kolb. Do I think it's a C or do I think it's a B? Um I feel like wait, okay. do you think it's a C or do you think it's a B? Oh sorry, K. K. That's what I mean. I'm like talking out loud and I'm not making sense, but I'm making sense in my head because I'm literally looking at it hey, typed out two different ways. Spelling spelling bees, man, they I fucking they'll, yeah. they'll do okay. shit to you. Yeah, okay. So Gary G A R Y Kolb. K-O-L-B. Gary Kolb. Warner is on the board. One wow. to zero. Oh, wow. I was wondering okay. if maybe it was like Gary with two R's or something. I know. Charlie, See, that's what I thought. Oh, for no man. points but bragging rights, spell Bob Euchre. Yeah, B-O-B-U-E-C-K-E-R. That was correct. <laughs> nice. All right. I think that just comes from like, there's a lot of like, well, like more no, like I know how to spell more no, and that's got the same kind of like weird yeah, e's sure. and u. All right, so. Charlie, you are down one to zero, but you have the chance to tie in the second round. Your name is Sean Figgins. Sean Figgins. <laughs> this sounds so simple, but I it just like wait. Wait, is that how that's pronounced? <laughs> I feel like I've read this name so many times playing out of the park baseball. And former, somehow I never realized former Angels and Mariners. Yeah, he played for the Sean yeah. Figgin. Yeah, okay. It's C H O N E uh F I G-G-I-N-S. Right? Charlie is on the board. It's like Chon. I thought it was Chon. <laughs> it is pronounced G-G. Sean. G-G. <laughs> oh, wow. man. My brain, right. like, I was, the gears were turning, and I was like, Sean Figgins. Oh, right. that's Back actually how it's Warner. pronounced. Wow. Warner. Your name, <laughs> and you're down to one lifeline. A recent okay. <laughs> legendary Cleveland Hall of Famer. Nap Lejoie. Oh, okay. Um, all right, let's see. Nap is N A P. So we got the we had the Cleveland Naps. Lejoie. L A J O U I E. That is incorrect, but you still oh. have one lifeline yeah. if you wish to use it now. 
Yeah, I mean, I may as well, right? Um, uh, yeah, this is your last name, so yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Now I just need to try to figure out, did I miss a letter? Did I add a letter that shouldn't be there? Um, all right. Well, NAP, N-A-P, L-A-J-O-I-E? No U, maybe? Is that L, right? You are correct. Wow. Oh. Okay, so I added the U. All right, all right. Charlie, it's getting close. So, I, better than so I, I still we have both my lifelines, so can I you use do, both yeah. of them? You can use <laughs> on two this? on one, Nate. Okay, okay, good. I'm, I was hoping that when I was saving them, but... Yeah, yeah, that may, yeah, that would suck. <laughs> okay. All right. Your name, Charlie. Mark Grudzelanek. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mark Grudzelanek. Grud... Wait, you say it again. Mark Grudzelanek. Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> Mark Grudzelanek played second base and shortstop for the Dodgers, Expos, Cubs, and Royals. Okay. I feel like I got kind of a hint there. So. M A R K Mark Grudzelonic. So G R U D G R U D Z G R U D Z I don't Grudzelonic. <laughs> Elonic could go in so many different ways, I feel it like. It really could. Oh. G R U D Z E L. I'm just going to use the lifeline. I'm not doing this. <laughs> Give me a player who's traded for. All right. Mark Gredzelanek was once tr- was once traded for a player named Hiram Boca Chica. Hiram Boca Chica. Okay. I feel like this could be Hiram Boca Chica. I'm hoping this one just is how it sounds. And there's, there, it sounds like there's less funny business than Grudzelonic. If you spell it wrong, you do still have. Okay. H I R A M, Hiram. B O C A Boca Chica. B O C A C H I. C-A. Charlie. You have tied okay. Warner. That one was two easier. To two. It, it yeah, was just I how feel it like sounded. Names like Spanish, you know, in Spanish, you kind of say every letter. It's not like fucking English and whatever where you've got these wacky I'm sorry, Warner. There, Warner, so. I'm sorry. Do you think Grudzelonic is an English last name, Warner? I don't know no, no, what no, that I'm name is, saying, but I don't know I'm what that name I've is. Not I'm just saying that spell it. I I think that like a language like Spanish doesn't really have, you know, those like weird shit going on. Letters. It's kind of like if you see the letter, you kind of you say it. You just need to say it so, right. Uh, but it's spell... not like some other, you know. Mark Grudzelonic is spelled M A R K G R U D 
Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-K. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm assuming Polish name uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, Polish. that's that's. I don't tough, think I would have got. Yeah. I definitely would have missed the I-E. Yeah, the I-E. Yeah, that's hard in there. I think I was just going to go E. We have a tie in the OGAT baseball name spelling bee. And instead oh, of God. having you guys spell names, I'm going to take you to one of the easiest names to spell, and in an English last name, actually, Warner. Oh, okay. Smith. Throughout the history of Major League Baseball, how many people with the last name Smith have played in Major League Baseball? Whoever gets closest without going over will win the game. Warner, since you went first in the spelling bee, Charlie will go first in the tiebreaker. Okay. I feel like probably a lot. Okay, is it cheating? Can I just look up how many players there have been in baseball? Is that cheating? I just want to know how many total baseball MLB players there are. Just Let me look it up for you. Okay. 18,918 players have played Major League Baseball. Mm. I'm going to say 125. Charlie, your guess is 125 Smiths. Yeah. All right, Warner. Without going over. Without going over. I don't really want to do the one thing because that feels kind of shitty. Um, so I'm going to try to like come up with a real number. Uh, I think I might go with more. I'm going to say there have been closer to 212. If it's 211, I'm quitting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> In the history of Major League Baseball, there have uh-huh. been 172 Smiths. Yes. All right. Good job. Yes. Good job. I went Charlie a little conservative. I thought 125 was probably low, and I was hoping you wouldn't say 126. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't want to just like do that where I just fucked with your answer. I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to come up with I thought once you said here. 212, I was like, I can see there being like 300 or something smith is such a common name <laughs> all oh, right wow. well that was fun uh you know we did better than we thought so that's yeah funny. we did you know, that's all right that's I'll take i'm glad it. we had the lifeline so i was not expecting that because yeah that helped well uh thank you everybody for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode uh email us at ogatpod at gmail.com if you have game suggestions wait real uh, quick have... sam can you spell more no m-o-r-n-e-a-u I'm pretty good at spelling baseball names because I play a lot of sporkle quizzes. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be good at that. Uh, But yeah, we have new episodes every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about us. We're on all the podcast platforms. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That helps get our show out there. Uh, Follow us on all the social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. We are at OGATPod. Uh, Reach out, you know, let us hear from you. Let us know if you could spell the names better than we could. And also we're on Patreon. So check that out if you want to support the show. We've got uh, lots of rewards on there, including shouting out new supporters, getting priority for episodes, and Sam making uh, Microsoft Paint drawings for you. Uh, So check it out. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. And Warner, you're going to use all the money that we get from Patreon to legally change your name to Warner Grudzalonic, right? 
<laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, you know, we're s- starting the paperwork now. Just need those funds from Patreon. Uh, so you should probably look you, it up everybody. how to spell it before you finish that paperwork, just to make sure you didn't mess it up. Just to be safe. I'll just spell it the way I think it's spelled and, you know, deal with it later. Uh, thank you, everybody, and we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I said bye-bye. You say something different. See ya. There we go.